Now, I have to make a correction this morning. Before I even preach, I have to correct something I said last week. What do you mean, oh oh I said this to you guys last week that Alberta Health Services is a private corporation. It's not. It was created in 2008 as a quasi-independent agency of the Alberta government to reduce the number of local health boards to a province-wide health board. So there is a measure of government accountability to that. And uh, I had a couple of emails from somebody who really dug into that and said, okay, it's actually quasi-independent, but not totally independent. And so I wanted to correct that when I'm wrong. I don't mind correcting it. Interestingly, as I was looking for this, I found out that last Saturday, um, November the 18th, the CEO, two vice presidents, and three other officers were all fired from their positions. (laughs) Which will now be broken up into four new organizations with the attempt to make it far more effective. Um, Yeah, so... Just so that you know that, so that some of you, uh, and I've talked to uh, people in the medical field, and there's no love lost between the doctors and the nurses and the structure of the corporation. So, you know, let's believe God that our, our provincial government is actually going to do things that, that, that make the system that we have here in Alberta better. Um, you might be asking, why the heck are you talking about that in church on Sunday? Because I talked about last week, and I'll, I'll jump off at this point, uh, that you know, the Bible says we're reading and talking about love, about walking in love. And one of the scriptures says that love's hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. And I got talking about how many of us have seen our hope just fall apart in the institutions in our nation and in our province and in our city uh, over the course of, of the last three or four years. Uh, and so that's where we got onto that. And my point was, did you watch your hope be damaged, become damaged in our government, in our institutions, in our medical system, in our police, etc. And did that affect your hope or your trust in God? Because you don't want it, your hope in that which you believed in the institutions when things are falling apart around you for that same damage of trust to be extended to God. It's supposed to, according to what God wants for us, and, and this is one of the lessons I think we're in the process of learning over the last three years, was that in the midst of everything else falling, What's really true faith comes through and reaches past all of those man-made things and lays a hold of the character and the nature of our God who, who says, you know, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you all the time. And that was the point that I was trying to make. And that's the point that I'm going to go a little further in this uh, today in sharing uh, a little bit about what I feel like the Lord has said to me this week. It kind of came as a little bit of surprise and I was really, I was really excited we were talking about love, as I said, and God's call for us to walk in love towards others. So years ago, I was speaking 1 Corinthians 13. And remember what, what, what we said over the last three weeks, that I had told the Lord, you have to help me walk in love. Like, you've got to help me because I was too quick to judge. I was too quick to get upset. I was too quick to get, to get angry or to react. And the Lord led me to 1 Corinthians in the Amplified Classic, and, and, and what I felt like he was telling me to do was to start saying it over myself. When you believe in your heart and you speak with your mouth, the Bible says that changes things. And uh, I thought, so I can actually speak things over myself according to the word of God, 
And when I'm speaking what he said about me, I will be conformed into the image of Christ. In other words, I'm aligning myself with what he said. Because you and I believe what we say more than we believe what anybody else says. <laughs> right? If you didn't believe it, why are you saying it? Right? So we believe. So I just thought, wait a minute, I can brainwash myself with the word of God. Totally. I thought, I can speak the word of God. I can declare the word of God. I can pray the word of God. I can trust the word of God. So why don't I attach my faith and my speaking to what God said about me? And of course, what happens is you begin to redefine the way that you think because you start to think like he thinks. And like the Lord told me all those years ago, almost 40 years ago, he said, when you see something like I see something, you'll get the same results I get. And that's revelation knowledge, right? That's when you see something. And the illustration I always use with that is how do you know you're born again? It's not a mental thing. You don't have to stop and think, okay, I know my phone number and I know my address and I know I'm born again. When you think about being born again, you just know that you know that you know. There's no question. Is it true? Is it real? Is Jesus really God? All of that stuff becomes so rooted on the inside that you know that you know that you know. That's an alignment with the truth of the word of God where your spirit sees what his spirit sees regarding you and me. Okay, so I'm starting to say this over myself. I endure long out of the Amplified. I endure long because of God's love in me. I endure long. I'm patient and kind. I never am envious. I don't boil over with jealousy. I'm not boastful of vainglory. I do not explain myself hotly. I'm saying it every day in the car, every day, in hopes to become <laughs> a better pastor, you know, a more loving shepherd. So I'm, I'm doing that one day, and this thought comes up all of a sudden on the inside. What if I substituted the word God for the word love? Because Amplified says, love endures long. Love is, so what I did was I changed it to, I endure long because God's in me, blah, blah, blah. And I was, it was just a random thought. What if I flipped the word love for God? And instead of it becoming something that I was doing to become more like him, it became something that I was like, wait a minute, this is a self-description of you. You're... you're and I'd never thought of it. So let's read it that way. Let's flip it around. I'm going to read it that way again from the Amplified Classic. And I, I want you to see this as a, as a self-description of God where he says, here's, here's what my character is. God endures long and is patient and kind. God never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. He's not boastful or vainglorious. He does not display himself haughtily. God is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. He's not rude or unmannerly. He does not act unbecomingly. Those things are all good. We're like, yeah, that's nice. Let's keep reading. God does not insist on his own rights or his own way. Wait, what? He's God. He's sovereign. For he is not self-seeking. I don't know about you, but that makes me go, wait a minute, there's parts of me that think he... It's, of course he's self-seeking. He's God. No, he's not self-seeking. This is his self-description. You can't say this about love and not say it about God. He does not insist upon his own rights or his own way, for he's not self-seeking. God is not touchy or fretful or resentful. Some of you have a touchy God. <laughs> Somebody that's easily poked, you know, and you're touchy. How about this one? He takes no account of the evil done to him. He pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Yeah, 
yeah, you're looking at me like I looked at him. Some of you are like, wait. What, what? It, it doesn't mean that he just doesn't notice sin and turns a blind eye. But what, what this is giving us is his perspective. It's giving us his intent, his focus, the way he does things. God does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but he rejoices when right and truth prevail. God bears up under anything and everything that comes. He's ever ready to believe the best of every person. I like that one. He's ever ready to believe the best of me. He's just waiting, going, oh, you're so good. You can do better even than that. And when you blow it, he's like, oh, man, I believe the best of you. I remember playing sports for all my years, you know. Do you know the guys that helped the most? Was the players or the coaches when you just blew it? You just did something bad. You know, you took a shot and, and you know, missed the net. You missed the boards and you hit the net that goes up above the, the, the ring. You know, that was your shot. It was one of those shots. Somebody comes by and whacks you on the butt, you know, one of your guys and goes, nice try, broker, keep going. You know, or just the guys that encourage you that believe the best of you. The people that suck all the life out of you are the ones that believe the worst. And they don't even have to say anything. You just have to be around them. His hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and he endures everything without weakening. God never fails. For those of you that have kids that are older and aren't serving God, why don't you just say that over him, over them every day? Father, I want to thank you. You never fail. Here's my son and my daughter. And like I've said so many times, don't stand there telling him all the problems. Oh, God, you know my kids are drinking too much. Oh, Lord, you know they're shacked up with somebody else and they shouldn't be. Why are you telling God something he already knows? Tell him what, he, what his word says. Lord, I want to thank you that my kids, they know you because they got born again in Sunday school, and I want to thank you that you never fail. I thank you you're working behind the scenes in my kids. I call my kids blessed. I call my kids in heaven. I call my kids serving you and loving you. I call angels to come into their house in the middle of the night and give them dreams of holiness and righteousness. I call my kids saved in Jesus' name. Why don't you speak that over your kids? Because the devil wants you to speak all the other stuff. Well, I'm not sure they'll ever come back to Jesus why would you say that God never fails so the Lord started to reveal his love and goodness to me right away when I came back I got born again at seven in a little Sunday school class and uh, for those of you that don't know my church my family pardon me um, left the church when I was 12 years of age um, my mom and dad were one of the four leadership couples in this little church plant way back then planted out of Bethel Baptist here in the city um, and uh, down in Kensington area, a little church who probably had 50 people. And when my mom and dad got divorced, our family left the church because that was like the unpardonable sin in that church. Um, and so they just were not comfortable there at all, and you know how all of that goes. So I walked away from God at 13 and was a Canadian heathen until 19 when I came back to God at 19 years of age on the other side of the world in a little Pentecostal church. There was a special speaker. I got prayed for one night. I fell out on the floor and, you know, hadn't done that before. Didn't even know what it was. And I laid on the floor for three hours, weeping like a little child because I felt like I was floating in, in a sea of liquid love. I had no capacity for it. I had no ability to comprehend it. It was unfathomable. It was eternal. It was majestic. And, and I just, I remember lying there weeping, saying, why do you love me like this? Why do you love me? Why, how can you love me? There, but there was no capacity for it. And I got up off that floor with an awareness 
of the love of my father. You know, and, and my dad and my mom were, were regular mom and dad. I mean, they did what they could, you know. But when you, when you go from your parents loving you and that, when you go step into what my father feels, I understand why when people leave their body and they get a taste of heaven and they walk into that love, that's like, that's it. That's, I don't, I'm good. I don't care how many I left behind or what age I was. I am good here because there's no description. There's no ability to comprehend that love. It's like trying to put a Boeing 747 in a coffee cup. There just isn't enough room. It's just too big. So that was my introduction. And I believe what God was trying to do with me at that point in my life, because I grew up those years in church and, and when my parents left, there was some offense there. You know, there was some offense because they'd been leaders in the church and they kind of got rejected. People didn't know how to deal with them anymore. Well, I picked that offense up and I came out with, well, I'm not going to church because church is full of hypocrites. Like one guy said to me when I first came back to the Lord, he said, well, if that's what you believe, then don't you go there because that'll just bring another hypocrite because all of us have a degree in us where we're dealing with stuff and we're working through stuff, right? So for the first time in my life, when you meet that kind of love, you're changed forever. And, and what God started to do was give me a description of his nature before I got into the church structure of the West where people would say, well, sometimes God does or sometimes he doesn't. Well, sometimes God's good and sometimes he's not. And well, you never know what God's gonna do. And, and, and so he showed me his nature, that his nature was always for me before I got thrown into the religious structure that made God something different than what his word says he is. And I want to give you a little picture of that today. The Bible says this in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. So think about what you is. Like, what are you? What's the fabric that makes you up? So let's stay, let's stay something simple like physical. Your, your body has bones and it has muscles and ligaments and tendons and then skin and veins and arteries and all these things that, that make up who we are. We are human. We are physical. And so we're aware what I'm made up of is, as science has told us, is, is these molecules of different kinds and then atoms and then down away all the way to the smallest little particles of quarks and, and so forth. So what am I? I'm a physical being that's made up of these things. But it says this about God. It said that his, the fabric of his nature is love. So the same way that you are bones, God is love. The same way that you are flesh, God is love. The same way that you are uh, brain and mental and, and understanding, God is love. The fabric of his nature, what makes him God, is love. Hmm. So every thought, every action, every expression of his flows from love. If he is love, there's no other reason that God does things except from love. He never does it out of hate. He never does it out of bitterness or sorrow for what happened and he's got to fix it. He always does it out of love. His only motivation, only ever, always is love because he is love. I said that to you last week. Some of you messed you right up. I said, if God is love, does he still love the sinner? Everybody, oh yeah, God loves the sinner. I said, okay, does God still love the devil? <laughs> and that twisted a bunch of people up. They're like, 
Because we don't like the devil, right? We want to smack that boy. But if he is love, then he still loves the devil. And and if you want to know more about that, then I got into, because he's perfect love, he has the right to discipline and to judge. And I'm not going into that today, so if you want to know more about that, get the thing we did last week, first service. So then I began to notice in the Psalms how he's described. And these things helped me. It was so helpful to get a description of God from himself and from the Bible before I got it from people who didn't know him. I remember hearing guys with doctorates, one guy with a doctorate in theology. I sat there listening in his class and and he was describing God. I thought, this guy doesn't know God. He might be born again, but he doesn't know God. And he started talking about, well, God really doesn't have a form and it's unknowable. And I started to think about, well, it talks about the hand of God and it talks about the heart of God and it talks about the face of God. He's got a face, you know, if, if he said to Moses, you can't look on it. Well, there must've been something there to look at. It's not this formless blob sitting on the throne, right? For most of us, the Holy Spirit is the formless blob, Right? Come on, don't look at that holy tone of voice. It's a, for most of us, we don't get a clear picture of Holy Spirit. We're like, well, is he a cloud or does he kind of disappear? And then whoop, he appears suddenly and there he is, you know. And, 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 but God the Father, is, there's, he, he's a person. If he's a person, you can know him. You can connect with him. You can talk with him. You can have a conversation with him. Amen. And he has an outline. Anyways, so I started to read this about God, these things. In Psalm 78 and 111, it says this, that he's full of compassion. Not sort of full, not a little bit of compassion. Well, you blew it a lot, so here's, here's 5% compassion. You know, try and do better next time. It says in Psalm 86, 15, that he's long-suffering and plenteous in mercy. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh, you're good to all. Well, that kind of takes care of the Lord being good to some, but not to others, doesn't it? Come on. That takes care of, well, God's good to some, but you know, other ones, he just lets them die. I mean, that's it. You know, you, you had your chance. You're gone. Come on, you guys. It's like when I was doing that, the um, course, the, the course on spiritual warfare in the college and it took me uh, quite a number of months to put it together. And I was trying to determine the character of God, the character of humans and the character of the devil. Because I had to have those, and, and I, I'm, I'm the first day that I'm sitting down to begin to collate and, and compile my notes, and the Holy Spirit, as I'm waiting there thinking, how the heck do I start this thing? And the Holy Spirit said on the inside of me, as he so often does when he's trying to teach me something that I think I already know, his question was, what's the difference between heaven and earth? Well, when you're a theologian or you think Bible all the time, I'm thinking, okay, you know, and you just start rattling off things in your mind. But I'm smart enough to know when God asks you a question, it's because he not he needs your wisdom. He doesn't need to know your answer. Adam, where are you? We're over here, Jesus. We're over by the fig tree over here. He asked him the question because he wanted to say to Adam, do you realize what you've become and where you are now and how different that place is than where you were when you were with me? So he asked me this question, what's the difference between heaven and earth? 
So I answered, like the old King James, like any wise person would. I said, Lord, thou knowest. Because we grew up, many of us, reading King James. How many of you grew up reading old King James? Come on, be honest. How many of you had to have that old thou, therefore, thus spirit cast out of you? Apparently, we have a movie coming up that you can go to, <laughs> Pastor John said. <laughs> the movie's called Come Out. Come Out in Jesus' Name. It's about healing. Yeah, no, I think it's about deliverance. That was a joke, you guys. It's about... So the Lord says that to me. I said, Lord, you know. And he said two words. Because he asked, the question was, what's the difference between heaven and earth? And I'm thinking all these thoughts. And this comes up. It was so simple. He's so simple with me. Thank God. He goes, the devil. I went, ah, so. Revelation. The difference between heaven and earth is the devil. In heaven, nobody's sick. In heaven, nobody's mad. Nobody's depressed. Nobody's, you ever read C.S. Lewis? We live on the dark planet. We live on the one planet that's dark, that's covered by these spirits that have been confined to earth for this period of eternity. And so many of us determine the nature of God through the veil that the enemy has put between us and him. I gotta say that again. That was good. You should record that. You should write that down. So many of us perceive or determine the nature of God through the dark veil that's around the earth, and so we blame him for bad things. But Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The problem is, and this is what the Lord started to show me, and I remember him giving me this sentence. I, I don't know, he got it or I just got it. And I wrote it down. God is unchangingly good. That's what I wrote down, unchangingly good. It was a simple sentence that I could understand. And things would happen in my life, and that sentence would come back to my mind. God is unchangingly good, which makes you stop and think, okay, how does unchangingly good work in my situation right now? Whatever I'm facing. How does unchangingly good work in my situation? If it's something I'm praying about, if it's something in a relationship, if it's something with my finances or something that I can't seem to get an answer on. Do you know what? When you believe in the goodness of God, it's a whole lot easier to get prayers answered. Amen. Why? Because you know he wants to answer those prayers. Yes, amen. Every promise in him is yes and amen. We used to sing the old song, every promise in the book is mine, and we didn't believe it. Because then you'd read something and go, well, you know, the Lord does this and that. Well, that's not for us today. But I was like, well, rip that hymn out of the book then. Because every promise in the book's not mine. Now look, if I shoot your religious cow this morning, just go, right in the middle. I mean, right in the middle of the service. Because some of you, your cows, they're, they're, they're wavering. Your religious cows are wavering. So God is good to all. So then if God is love, compassion, and goodness, I turned to Genesis 1.1 and I read it that way. In the beginning, love, compassion, and goodness created the heavens and the earth. Wow, okay. Okay, if compassion is behind creation, then compassion is the reason for creation. So we not only know that God created all things, we know why. I realized something many years ago. God has a weakness. 
<laughs> I should just stop. I should totally just stop right there. Because next week the place would be full to the rafters. Did you hear what he said? Somebody would put it on Twitter, you know. Somebody else would put it on. This pastor said God has a weakness. Heresy! Heresy! That's Southside. They're already off the charts over there. They're already, you know. Think about this. Compassion always needs someone else to express itself on. Compassion's not compassion if there's nobody to compass. I'm trying to make it funny because some of you are like, Compassion always needs someone else to pour out its expression on. It needs relationship. It needs someone to love. What is love if there's nobody to love? God's weakness is he needs you and me. Amen. <laughs> oh, Lord. Of all the things he could have created. <laughs> so let's read John 1 that way. In the, with compassion. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with compassion, and the word was compassion. You need to, you need to flip your brain here to thinking of, of how God operates. And I'm not doing away with sin. The Bible says if any man say he has no sin, then there's no, there's no truth in him. So I'm not doing away with any of that. But, but we are so focused on the bad things and the shame that so many Christians deal with because we don't know the character of God who is waiting one breath away to pour out love and compassion, to pour out full of mercy, full of mercy, full of mercy. What if all you heard from God for the next month was, I'm full of mercy, I'm full of mercy, I'm full of mercy. His mercy's new every morning. Thank God there's a day and night. Come on. What good would the mercies be every morning if there was no day and night? There's no day and night in heaven. You don't need mercy in heaven. Amen. Because in heaven, mercy's always there. It's just the same all the time. He said it that way because here on earth, we know that if I blew it today, tomorrow the mercy's the same. The mercy stack fills up overnight while I'm sleeping. Aren't you glad? Whatever you did yesterday, the mercy's all waiting. I heard a guy say that years ago. When you, when you sin, don't run from God. Run to him. So when you sin, go, God, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And the Bible says he's full of compassion. means he's standing there as you're going, Lord, I just, I ask you to forgive me. He goes, yes, before you finish the prayer. Lord, I just ask in my heart, yes. What is that? Mercy. Right, full back up again. Right? He's full of compassion. And the word was with compassion and the word was compassion. All things were made through compassion. And without compassion, nothing was made that is made. The planets were made with compassion in mind. How many of you looked up at the full moon that we have? It's actually full tonight. But last night it was almost awful, if you you haven't. Well, if you look off to um, the right side of the moon, you'll see Jupiter. Jupiter's the biggest planet. And if you look off to the left, and it's clear enough, you'll see the the Pleiades constellation. And all of that, why do you think God created? Because most of that's going to be all burned up one day. Like, talk about extravagant. A universe that has no end, and God goes, okay, that's done, sin's finished, and he just burns the whole thing up and makes a new one. And it extends beyond our capability to understand, and in one moment, he's like, torch the sucker, and let's keep moving. I mean, just like that, you know? Lord. I love that. 
without compassion, nothing was made. He made the stars so you could go out and look at them at night and go, oh my goodness, look at you. So much so that people that don't know him develop other religions looking at those stars because they're so impressive. Why? Because compassion made them. Compassion made, you know what? Oh, I digress. Compassion made the animals on the earth. Have you ever gone on like YouTube and watched like funny animal videos? Yes. Well, go and watch like cute kitten ones. Oh, and the guys are like, I don't watch cute kitten videos. <laughs> okay, then watch cute puppy ones, you, you he-man. You go on there, you only have to watch like 10 minutes of cute puppies, and you're just like, oh, honey, we need a puppy. Because <laughs> you just want to squish them, you know, you just want to grab them, and they're like the little kittens, and then the kittens, you know, the guy on the one I watched, I just happened to watch one this week, and the guy had his hand, and the kitten was... Oh, the kitten's only this big. I mean, it's a little ball of puff with four little legs. And it's got this little round head with two little pointy ears that stick up, you know. And the guy went like this. And, and you know, we call it sideways cat. And the cat, the kitten goes, and he turns sideways, right? And they arch their back, and their tail's only an inch and a half long. And they stick that little tail right up, boy. I mean, it's like, it's like, I will take you down if you come any closer. And it's a ball of fluff. And you watch it, and you just think... Like, what do you do with it, right? Pick it up and just hold it and squish it. I mean, don't kill it, but you know. <laughs> Compassion made that because he knew that we would love those kinds of things. And I'm not even asked for a show of hands of how many of you in this room, the dog is your best friend. And I hope you're not married when I bring that out like that. <laughs> this is coming out way different than the first service, ain't it? It's like... This crew must need a lot more of... of, of. <laughs> so compassion made all things. The earth, the heavens, and everything in them were created by love, with love, for the purpose of love. And one of the foundations that the Father, as I told you, began to establish in my heart is that he is unchangingly good. Now, think about this. When you see the character of your father, no, I need to say it a different way. When the character of, of our Father God begins to be established in your heart you see things from a different perspective. Remember what Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? That statement makes me think about what heaven is like. I challenge you to do this sometime. You know what? Probably, probably, probably 70% of the funerals that I do, that I'm doing the message in, I talk about heaven. And, you know, after 37 years in the ministry, there's, you've done a lot of funerals. And the thing that would happen is we'd be sitting or we'd be in the reception afterwards or, or you know, people would come up. I remember I was a youth pastor and, and uh, on graduation night, one of the kids in the city, they got drunk and they were heading out of the city and, 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 and they went around a corner and they hit the abutment of the bridge. They hit the concrete wall of the bridge and both of them were killed instantly on graduation night. Like, that's a hard one, boy. That's a, that was a hard funeral to do, and they did it in our church in this, this small town that we were in because we had the biggest church and most of the high school came. Everybody knew this guy. And I'll never forget, I was the youth pastor in that church. I went out in the foyer and I was just trying to make connections with some of these kids that never come to church. And um, I sat down by this girl who was sitting in, on one of the benches outside and the, the thing hadn't started yet. And she's just kind of quietly crying. Nobody else was there. And uh, so I just walked up and sat down beside her and said, hey, I'm, I'm Craig and uh, I'm the youth pastor here. Is there anything I can help with? 
And she kind of looks at me and, and she said, because she was good friends with him, I guess. But she looked at me and she said, with tears, where is he now? Especially in this generation, our generation, the people that are alive today, there is a more common belief in something afterwards than there is that there's not. And that's different than it was 50 years ago. 50 years ago in this country, we dealt a whole bunch with, well, I don't believe there's anything. I'm just living for what's here, bless God. And there's still a certain degree of that. But because of what's happening in the movies, because of what's happening online, because of all this social media that's coming about supernatural powers and all that stuff. And, you know, like I've said a couple weeks ago, people being raised from the dead in the movie. You know, the guy dies. I mean, he gets totally shot. He falls out of the plane, lands in the ocean, sinks into the ocean. But five minutes later, he pops up again. And you're like, wait a minute. You can't just raise the, the soldier up from the dead in a movie. This isn't a Christian movie. <laughs> the guy died. He's dead. Leave him, in the, you know, leave him at the bottom of the ocean. But, but that awareness has changed the, the focus or the, or the philosophy of our generation to believe things that we didn't believe years ago. So I'm thinking this. If God's presence, talking about heaven, if God's presence permeates the atmosphere of heaven like air does here, the Bible says this, that being with the Lord is joy unspeakable and full of glory. What's joy unspeakable? It means you're so happy you can't talk. You can't, it's, I mean, just think about it. I don't know if you've ever been so happy you were laughing so hard you couldn't talk. But it's joy unspeakable. It means you're overcome. I experienced that lying on the floor as the joy would roll over me and I would laugh and laugh and laugh. And it's happened many times since. Happened in revival when the Spirit of God again would, would touch me and remind me about his joy. How about this one? In his presence, these are scriptures. In his presence is fullness of joy. What does fullness of joy look like? Man, you go into some churches and it looks, and hopefully not ours, but look, people, everybody's been baptized in vinegar. How about this one? There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. So if all these, if those scriptures are true, that it's joy unspeakable in his presence, then the prevailing atmosphere in heaven is one of great joy. I believe that perhaps one of the most predominant sounds in heaven is laughter. A city filled with laughter. Can you imagine walking into a city where what you heard was laughter more than any other sound? Come on. <laughs> I remember a, a song years ago that said, a city sought after, a city filled with laughter, a city filled with the joy of the Lord. And I thought, a city filled with laughter. Do you know why we go to sports games and movies and, and why people drink and smoke up and all that stuff? To try and get a measure of relief from pressure, from depression, from uh, uncertainty, from confusion, and try and get some joy. Yep. That's why we go to hockey games. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> I watched the game. I watched it, not a game. I don't, we don't have TV, so I don't watch games. But I watched the highlight. So I watched the highlight last night. Apparently, the Flames won a couple of days ago, yes, which we're in like 32nd place in the league, right? <laughs> not quite. So we're up from there. How many teams are there? There's 32 teams in the league. We're not quite. Oh, we've climbed up to 29? Okay. Does anybody cheer for the Flames in here? Okay, I'm not asking for any of the other... Any other uh. So joy, why do we go? Because we want our team to win. And what happens when, when they get a goal? 
dear God, the people get wilder in hockey games than they do when Jesus comes into church on Sunday morning. Woohoo! Yeah, baby! And here it's like, just as I am without one plea. Right? You should have seen Pastor John this morning in the first service. He was getting so touched in the worship, he got up there and he couldn't talk. He just sat sat there laughing. He tried to get the offering out and he kept getting his merds all wixed up. (laughs) So let me ask you a question. Can you be full of joy and laughter and serious and intense at the same moment? Don't answer. Because I remember when I said that in the first service, a bunch of people were like, yeah. Other ones were like, no. And then the vast majority of the sheep were silent, fearing that they might say the wrong answer. Because if you go, yeah, and then I say no, and all the people around you go. (laughs) Audience response. So the question is this. Can you be full of joy and laughter, and it's serious and and intense at the same moment? Well, you have to answer that question with another question. What makes a person serious? What makes you go, hmm? I submit something to you. I do not believe that heaven is a serious place. (laughs) And I'm letting that hang because I'm I'm trying to reformat part of your hard drive concerning the nature of God that permeates the atmosphere like air permeates the atmosphere here. There's no stress there. There's no tension. There's no uncertainty. And there's no cause for intensity. Now, it doesn't mean that when we're in the throne room and the heavy kavod, the glory of God comes and we're flat on our faces and we're just like, whoa, and you're just lost in it. But have you ever noticed that when that presence is there like that, even though it's, even the holiness, the holiness of God is like, we've had the holiness of God come in here and, and it was, like all there was was just a little bit of silent music. And I thought to myself, don't anybody do anything dumb. Like that's not the time, you know, when it's real sweet, holy anointing. And, and Brother Bucket Mouth goes, and you're blown out of the holy place into the outer court because he feels the anointing, but he just completely misread the flavor of the spirit that's in the room. The holiness of God is, is, is a sense of, of awe. But that doesn't take away, even in the holiness of God, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. In the midst of the fear of the Lord is a tremendous sense of of personal connection with him, even though you're dealing with God. You're convicted. So there's there's, there's a measure of joy there, but it's almost coupled with a holy fear. It's, It's hard to describe. So I'm not taking away from the fact, but you know what? Have you ever found out you can only do that for so long? I had an old guy tell me this one time before I went on the road. I traveled for 10 years uh, full-time. And, and he said, when you, when you do an altar call, like for repentance, he said, you've got to bring people through that altar call. You can't finish the altar call and leave them still repenting. He said, you have to bring them up out of that because when they're in that place and they go out, he said, the enemy will use that solemnity, that sobriety to then, because they're out from under the anointing, to then start to make them feel guilty because they haven't had resolve on it. Yeah. 
It's one of the most helpful things I ever learned in doing altar calls. So I would do altar calls, and then you'd wait, and I'd listen on the inside. I would just listen to, okay, are, are, have we come through it yet? Because some people can come through fairly quickly. And some, some folks, you know, it's like a backhoe. They're just digging up everything, man. And I mean, you know, 15 minutes in, they're still, <laughs> and that's okay, because we all have, have different levels. But we're also restricted, of course, to some degree by time. And so it was, a, it was an interesting thing learning, okay, when do we have to bring people up? And I would, I would have to bring them up out of that to bring them back to that, you know what, God loves you and, and the blood has taken care of it. There may be other things you want him to deal with, but let's leave those for another time. Let's go with what the Lord showed you today. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I, I heard one minister talking about heaven not being serious. And you can do whatever you want with this. Okay, this was what I heard an old minister say that I have a lot of respect for. He said this, and when he said it, it shocked me because it was so foreign to my way of thinking. He'd been rejoicing in the goodness of God, and he began to laugh and shout and dance in his room just in his devotional time because of the delightfulness of God's presence. He was so caught up in it. He was just laughing like a little boy and dancing around and shouting and enjoying the goodness of God. And in the middle of that, because he, he, he hadn't experienced the delightfulness of God. David said in your, in your house, delightfulness. I love to experience your delightfulness. And he said that this is what God said to him. And I said, you can do with it what you want. Son, if it hadn't been for sin, I never would have had a serious thought. Again, you think of what causes us to be serious. Well, if God's nature is love and the atmosphere of heaven is joy, and I just remember thinking, at first, I, you know, all these, I try, I'm trying to think of verses that would refute that because I was like, yeah, wait, wait a minute, God's, because my concept of God, as many people's is, is like, you know, there he is, he's on the throne, it's like, oh, and holy, and, and all those things are true. I was getting ready for Christmas one time. And I was thinking about Santa Claus, you know. And one of the descriptions of Santa Claus is jolly. And I heard this come up on the inside, whether it was God or, or me, but what came up on the inside? Am I jolly? I knew it wasn't me, because I'm like, I mean, I wouldn't call myself jolly. I'd call myself happy. But I'm not, I don't know, maybe I'm not old enough to be jolly yet. <laughs> Or big enough. big enough. Thank you, Pastor John, for that. And I thought, I had this question. Is, is God jolly? Like, would God sit there on the throne and watch something and go, <laughs> And I thought, you know what, I bet you he would. I mean, if the joy of the Lord is his strength and he's omnipotent, do you ever make that connection? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Well, if, if the joy of the Lord is his strength and he has all power, he must have a lot of joy, boy. People get up into heaven. People say to me, you know, I think heaven's going to be boring. Oh. All you got to do is walk up one time to the throne. Have you ever had God tell you a joke? Yep. You have? I have. I've had the Lord say things to me that I just thought, that is the funniest thing. I would never 
never have thought of that. Well, what I'm trying to do is, is open a facet of the character of God that we just never think about. Because we've been talking about the importance of us to walk in love for the last three weeks. So we need to, you know, I endure long and I'm patient and kind and I never am envious and I'm not touchy or fretful. And so we all come out of, it was you guys were so funny watching you for the last three weeks because I'm going to go up here so you can see it better. Because all of you are sitting there and you're like. Because we all know we're supposed to do that. So that's what happened to me years ago when I was doing that and the Lord flipped it around and he said, in, in my heart, he didn't say it, but the impression that came up was, your picture of me is not full. You don't see the joy that I have. You don't see my jolly side. Huh. Imagine what God would be like to be like that. Son, if it hadn't been for sin, I never would have had a serious thought. Man, that messed with my image. And as I said, David said in Psalm 24, 27.4, one thing have I desired that I might behold the delightfulness of the Lord. I wonder, I wonder how much delight we have in our lives anymore. That's not a word we use very often, is it? What do you delight in? I played sports all my life. But I wouldn't say they were my delight. That, that wasn't the right word. It was, uh, it, was, it was satisfying. It was engaging. It was energizing. It, it got me pumped. I was ready to go. When you're there and you're lined up and the game's starting and, and it's like, here we go. I, I, like I said, I was watching that, that um, hockey thing. And, you know, before they even drop the puck, and it, the camera shows the, the centers and the wingers and everybody, and of course, they're, they're just, they're right there, and they're already pushing each other, and they're all, because their adrenaline is jacked, right? It's about to come down. We got to win this game, and I know that feeling, but I wouldn't call that delight, and I had to ask myself, like that time when I was laying on the floor years ago, and his presence just kept washing over me like waves. There was this delight in it that I had no other I didn't know how else to describe it. And I wonder sometimes if as we grow older in the Lord, we move away from that. There's a danger, I have to say this the right way. Is Christian maturity the strength of my faith? and my steadfastness in the things of God. Yes. But if the joy of the Lord was his strength, I think Jesus laughed a whole lot more than what we think he did when he was here. I think that Jesus was full of joy. I think that he walked in a joy that the, that the disciples were like, this guy's having a good time. What was in his words when he walks by the tax collector, Levi, and he looks at him and he says, come and follow me. And the tax collector gets up from the table right there. And I, I did a little bit of research on that and found out that, that, that because he was the chief, a chief tax collector, what he would have had is other guys there as well. So pardon me, the chosen, I don't think got it right with Matthew sitting in his little booth there and passing money through the, the little grate. So for some of you, but he, he, he wasn't a stupid man, so he would have had things set up. Either he closed up shop right there. But what was in Jesus' words? What filled his words? 
that, that Levi would get up and go, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and just walk after Jesus. What was in his words that were made? I remember, and the Lord would do that. He walks by, you know, uh, James and John. Come and follow me, Peter. I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says they left their nets with the hired servants. In other words, they abdicated their responsibility of cleaning the nets after the night of fishing. They dropped their nets and went, yeah, yeah, wow, wow, yeah, let's, what are we going to do? I don't know. Well, let's follow him. I think there was something in his words that we've lost. One of the messages that the Lord spoke to my heart years ago in the middle of a tough time, I'll finish with these thoughts. I was speaking at a conference and uh, there was a couple of other people at the conference who were way more well-known than me. This is when I was traveling all the time. And uh, there was a thousand people at the conference and the afternoon session was broken up into these different groups. And uh, I thought to myself, what, are the th <clears throat> what, what should I minister on here? I've got a 45-minute breakout session. What should I minister on? And they ask you for the name of it, right? The conference um, um, creators ask you for the name of your session so that people can decide because it's on the pamphlet. And um, so I, uh, <clears throat> I thought, well, what do I know? Do you know the first night that I was in ministry, the very first Sunday that I was in ministry, being paid to, to minister, separated to the gospel. The Lord spoke to my heart that night. I went home after church. It was an evening service. Everybody else went for pizza. I went home. Some of you know this. And I, I felt something. I thought, what, is, what, what, what am I going home for? I went home and I began to pray. I was, there was the only one in the house. And I began to weep. And, 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 and God, what are you doing? And he spoke to my heart and he said, times of refreshing. And I wrote it down. I knew that's a scripture somewhere. I didn't know where it was. <clears throat> and I wrote it down. And what I started to learn over the years was one of the things that God's called me to do is bring refreshing. So I'm sitting there getting ready for this conference and I have a main session, but then I have this session and then another session. And as I'm looking over this session, I started to, to, to pray and I, and, and I said, Lord, there's so many things here. Like, what do you want me to speak on? And there's a, other guys are, are great and I know kind of what he's gonna speak on because he's really got that nailed down, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like what the Lord spoke to my heart, he said, why don't you make the people laugh? And I was, that was, I was like, oh? <laughs> and then I thought, what are the things that have been funny that have happened in the ministry over at that point, it would have been the last 30, 30 years. And I had researched something before that by Roland Baker. Most of us are familiar with Heidi Baker. Heidi's spoken here a couple times. And Roland had done a study on more intelligent and less intelligent animals. The dumber the animal, the less they play. The smarter the animal, the more they play. Ants don't. Dolphins do. And he was... He, was, he got up, Roland, when, he, when I heard him years ago before this, he got up and he started his message by saying this, God's in a better mood than you are. <laughs> yeah. I remember when he said that, I was like, you know, he probably is. <laughs> but he went through that. So here I am, I'm getting ready to do this session at this conference. And uh, I started to think about the things over the years that have happened in the ministry that made me laugh. 
And what I did was I just started writing down stories of funny things that have happened in the ministry. So I put that on. I called the, I called the message a time to laugh. Because I felt like God just wanted people to laugh again. I felt it was in the middle of a hard time economically. Albertan economy was depressed. People were losing their jobs. And it was funny because when you like to teach and, and go line upon line, and then the Lord says, well, that's nice. But I don't want you to do that right now. They don't need more teaching. They need to laugh. So I called the message a time to laugh with all these stories in it. And I've, I've shared it here once or twice over the last year. Maybe I'll share it again sometime. Maybe at Christmas time I'll share the funny stories. And here's what was funny. There was more people in that room. We had to change rooms and move to the biggest room. And the keynote speaker, who was also a friend of mine, I was totally bugging him after that, saying, which, which of the breakout rooms were you in? Because they put me in the main sanctuary, right? Just because, of, I mean, we're friends, and so it's a ministry thing. You play with each other and bug each other. And I, sat, I stood there, and I, I went through that message, and I'm telling you, we laughed. And I started laughing, because what the Lord wanted to do was bring that joy, and then the joy started to fill the room. And I remember looking, and it was so sweet, because I saw people who came in who were upset and were frustrated and trying to do their best as a Christian and trying to make it and, you know, here's the stuff I'm dealing with and here's the sins that I've got and here's the problems in my life. And as we laughed and we laughed and we laughed and we laughed, and in that message I brought out that God is a God of laughter and joy. And I watch people get up, and it still touches my heart. I watch people get up at the end of that with this big smile on their face, knowing, you know what? He's not disappointed in me. And he's not mad at me. As a matter of fact, he's full of joy. And I've just tasted some of that joy and some of that laughter. And, and, and things are going to be okay. And I watch people get up with hope that was restored because they realized that God was on their side. They realized that there was joy that they could have in the middle of whatever they're dealing with. Amen. And I kept that message. And I've shared it many times now over the years in different places. My reason for sharing this with you today was because we just came through three weeks where we, I just put the boots to you making you check, how am I doing? Am I walking in this? Am I trying it? And I had a number of you say, somebody texted me again this week. I watched your, your service online from the Maritimes. I watched your service online. And then later that week, something happened to me and I started to tell my friend, do you know what happened to me this week? I was at such and such and I was so, and she said, I heard your voice say, you're giving somebody a secondhand offense and causing them to sin. And she said, right in the middle of telling this other person this, I went, Never mind, forget it. I don't want to talk about it. So, so I remember what we went through. Why don't you stand up? But I wanted you to see this other side of something that has become an unchangeable root for me, and that is the goodness of God. That he's absolutely, unequivocally good. When you lay hold of that, it'll twist with some of your understandings about bad things. And I can't, I can't talk about that in the one message. I would love to. We'll see. I may talk about things like Paul's thorn. I may talk about things like the man who was born blind, that the church has said, well, this, God made this man blind, Jesus said, so I could come along and heal him. Would you do that to somebody? 
Would you make them blind so that 20 years later I could come along and pray and they'd get healed? Would you make them suffer for 20 years of blindness so that I look good 20 years later? That is not the character of God, but we've written in our little Bible with that wrong perspective about what God's like, and yet the Bible says he's full of compassion and full of mercy. Close your eyes for a minute. I think maybe there's a few of you, you just need to say to the Lord right now, forgive me and help me to see this facet of your character that I didn't even know it could be like this. He's still holy. He's still just. He's still the righteous judge. But oh, he's a happy God. He's a joyful God. And he's not displeased with you. Before we're done here this morning, if you need to receive Jesus, if you need to know more about Jesus, then I want you to come up afterwards. Just come up and say, see Pastor John over here to my right and say, hey, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about that kind of a God. Does he require anything of me? How do I get to know him better? But I believe there's some of us this morning, and I want you to pray this some way in your own heart. I'll pray it out here, but but you interpret it your way. Father, this morning I I come to you Because I want to see the character and the nature of love. I know you never give up on me. I know you forgive my sins. And I know that you love me and you have mercy. But I want to see the joyful God. I want to see the facet. I want to see this part of your character that's so full of joy. That you laugh easily. That Jesus laughs and chuckles and enjoys talking to me. I want to see this part of Jesus. I want to see a joyful Jesus. I'm asking you, Lord, to reformat this part of my hard drive from where I've thought you were always demanding of me and you're always requiring and you, I never measure up in your eyes. I'm asking you this morning as we go into this Christmas season where you sent your own son to be born with us, I'm asking to see the joyful side of God that I might know you better. And I speak the name of the Lord over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, we've got some prayers here. Please don't pass by. Come on up. Let them pray for you. Let them help you with what you're dealing with. Remember tonight, 6 o'clock, Citizen Action Group's going to be here talking about some things. Come on out. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us online today. We hope you enjoyed the service. If you'd like more information about Southside Victory Church, download our app from the App Store, follow us on social media, or check out our website at svcf.ca. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Craig, you can check out www.timesofrefreshing.com or follow Times of Refreshing on social media to see if he's speaking in a city near you. You can connect with the church anytime, give us a phone call or send us an email. Thanks again for joining us in building a community of believers together. We'll see you next week.